You really trust Jesus? We assume a lot of things in our lives as followers of Christ, and we, we come down to this, to this point, do you really trust him? When we think about crossroads and being um, 17 years old, the love of God brought us all together. And it is what keeps us together as a church, as the body of Christ. There's no other reason than that. It's, it's the love of God. And on this outpouring to God's great love that he has for this community and around the world, actually, we were founded on three heartfelt responses to God's great love. So when God tells you that he loves you, what, what's your response? There's the first one that we already covered is the love of Christ and his gospel of grace calls for a personal, free, and uncon unconventional decision. We have to come to that point in our life where we acknowledge that God is God and that we, are, we need him, that we are sinners, all of us. And we come to that place in our life where we say, Lord, forgive me, I want to be your kid. And he brings us into the family and an outward show of an inward change. We're baptized and we start down that road. That, that's the beginning. And if you've not started that, that way, you've not started. God has no grandchildren. You can't be grandfathered in as a believer of Christ. You have to come to that point in your life where you make that decision. And no one can make that for us, you see. It has to be us. And what do we do? I'm a child of God. How do you become a child? You admit you're a sinner, first thing. Honesty. Secondly, you confess your sin. Man, Lord, I am a mess. I have sin in my life, and I ask your forgiveness. You repent, which means you change your way of life. You confess that sin, and you repent. And hopefully, you find your gifts and what God has given you to do, and that's why we do life development, to help you do that. We, we as leadership, always want to give you opportunities. We can't make you do it. But hopefully that through the power of the Holy Spirit and your love for God that it'll do something to your heart and make you want to do that. So our walk with Christ starts with that decision. And this second, our great response to the love of Jesus demands that we trust him. Demands it. That we come to that point in our life where we give ourselves to God and say, you know, Lord, I... I trust you with, with my life. I'm not relying on my own resume anymore. But our problem, a lot of us, is we do believe that the world revolves around us, that we are at the center of the universe. But in all actuality, we realize that someday, hopefully, that, that we're not, that Christ is the center. Here's what grace does for us. It tells us that we're accepted just as we are, the old song that a lot of you had been in church for years, they used to play like 5,000 verses at the end, just as I am. And they go on and on and on and on. And that preacher up there was just waiting, hoping somebody would get up. We don't do that here. If we did, I would coach my wife to come up front so we could end the song and go home, actually. But we don't do that here. We, we have a song, but it's not. I'm just being facetious. I know. I'm sorry. But it's a fact that... God accepts us who we are with all of our habits, with all of our warts, with all of the baggage that we have in life. We can come and he accepts us that way. We're, we don't do that well. You know, a lot of times we want people to change. We, 
We want people to clean up. We want them to look different before we'll accept them. They, we want them to do what we want them to do, and it doesn't always work that way. We may not be the kind of people we want to be. Is anybody in here really? Have you arrived 100% and you're really happy with yourself the way you want to be and you wouldn't change anything? We may be a long way from our goals. We may have more failures and achievements. We may not be wealthy or powerful or spiritual. We may not even be happy. But we are nonetheless accepted by God and we're held in his hands. That's an amazing thing to me. That's his promise to up in Christ that it's a promise we can trust. But for those of us who feel their lives are grave disappointments in God, to God, it requires enormous trust and reckless raging confidence to accept that the love of Christ knows no shadow of alteration or change. When Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, he assumed, he assumed, he knew that in this walk of faith that we would grow weary, that we would get discouraged, that we'd be disheartened along the way. This is a touching testimony to, to Christ and, and how, how he saw things. He was genuinely human, and he knew what it was like to be human. He had no romantic notion of the cost of discipleship. I'll tell you what, folks. If we follow Christ the way that he wants us to, it'll be the toughest thing we'll do on this earth. It's the most blessed. It's where the adventure's at. It's where the hope's at. It's where joy's at. We won't find it anywhere else but in that walk, you see. He knew that following him was as unsentimental as duty and demanding as love. He knew that physical pain, the loss of loved ones, failure, loneliness, rejection, abandonment, and betrayal would sap our spirits. That the day would come when faith would no longer offer any drive, reassurance, or comfort. That prayer would lack any sense of reality or progress. That we would echo the cry of Teresa of Avila who said, Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. You ever felt that way? It's like C.S. Lewis said that there are those days that you, you go to God and all you hear is God slamming that door in your face and three or four locks turning. Man, we, we feel that way. That is the time that faith kicks in. That is time when the trust really becomes real. Because regardless of how you feel, it's what you know in your heart that God is there and he is right there. And we keep going. Here's some encouraging words of truth from our text, Hebrew 4, 14 through 16. It's talking about Christ as our high priest. This is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive mercy, his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. Never stop trusting. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of what's come our way, never stop trusting him. You need grace, says come looking for it. The term high priest would have, would have resonated with the Jewish readers in Hebrews. I believe Paul wrote it. doesn't say that, but a lot of people do. doesn't matter. God inspired whoever wrote it. But the high priest had been their highest religious authority. The priesthood began, began with Aaron, Moses' brother, in Exodus 28, 41. 
And, and this is one of the things I, I think is wild about the Old Testament. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies that was separated by the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was back there. And on that day, if, if we were living in that day, I don't know how you, know, how you are well off financially, but you would have to bring a live animal and give it to that priest. That's how it worked. That's how the system, that's how the Levitical system was, was worked. Whether you had a pigeon, a dove, or, uh, the, big, the, big, the big offering was the, the lamb, unblemished lamb that you brought to him. But whatever, whatever he would do, you take that animal behind that curtain, slit that animal's throat, and sprinkle that blood on the altar. So the altar in the Old Testament was a, a, a nasty place. Can you imagine a whole nation? How long the line would have been? How many animals would have lost their life? How much blood there would have been on that altar? It's bizarre to me. And here's the bizarre part. That priest had, had, couldn't have any sin in his life. So what they'd do, they'd tie a rope around his leg. In my case, it'd be two ropes, I'm sure. But anyhow, they'd, they'd tie a rope. He'd go in there. If there was sin in his life, God would strike him dead right there, right on the spot, and they'd have to drag him out. So I don't suppose there was probably a line of priests waiting to say, who's next? You, you get the point on that. Well, Jesus took, the, took that place. He, he's the great high priest, better than all the high priests of Israel, and here's why. High priests were human. Jesus was, wasn't. He was God. His sacrifice took care of sins. No more blood on the altar. The blood that flowed down the cross took that place, covered our sins. The high priest could enter the Holy of Holies not just one day a year, but he was close to God. He, set right, he sets right at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. I've often thought how many, many times my name comes up. Jesus turns to the Father. Well, is that Eddie again? <laughs> He had that thought, he had that, did that thing, or he said that word. And, but it's all right, everything is, everything is copacetic. That's a word you don't use every day either, copacetic. But he fixes it with God because a holy God cannot look upon sinful mankind, but Jesus is our intercessor. And the high priest interceded between God and the people, and that's what Jesus did. The high priests were the highest religious authorities. Jesus has more authority than than the Jewish high priest because he is both God and man. God with skin on. That's my favorite term for him. People could not approach God except through a high priest. When Jesus died, he took care of that. I like that picture you know, or that, that clip in the, in the Passion where we've got this veil of the temple. And when Jesus died, that temple, God rent it. And it says he tore it. He tore it in half saying, you don't need this veil. You don't need a priest. You got, you got my son, and you go to him. He is the one that you go to for guidance and direction. He is the one you confess your sins to. That you can go right to God now. And because of what Christ has done and is doing for us, the Scripture says, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess and not to drift away. Allow Christ to be our high priest, and that's what he's saying here. It's good news for people who wonder, how can I approach God, or will God listen to me? But we know that because Christ is our high priest, that, that he will, that he won't ever turn his back on us. He's always, he's always there for us. And it helps us escape judgment. James says that the judge is at the door. He's close. 
And I know for many years, many of you that have been followers of Christ for quite a while, you know, you always, you always got your ear tuned to that, that eastern sky for that trumpet blast. And when that happens, <laughs> we're out of here. That could happen any time. And I know the Thessalonians thought it was going to happen in their day, but it didn't. But as we prophecy falls in place, it's getting closer and closer and closer. One of the things about Christ that's unbelievable to me, that he understands what each of us go through with our weaknesses and our temptations. He went through them as a human. That He understands that. We can take comfort in that. And Verse 16 in Hebrews 4. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we can dig that, can't we? In time of need, we all have those times when we are in need and we need Christ. We can come boldly. At God's throne, we will not receive anger or be ignored. Instead, we will obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is not only concerned with converting people and collecting disciples. He also cares and nurtures those children who are his own. God will never reject a Christian's plea or ignore one who brings request before God. It's my favorite mind picture of God when I mess up, which we all do. I don't know how it was at your house. I pretty much skated as a kid. Um, my sister was easy on me, and my grandma raised me pretty much. They didn't beat me, which I needed it. <laughs> I got beaten in school, though, but that, 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 didn't, that didn't cover it. But when you, really, when you really messed up at home, was there any fear when your dad or your mom set you down, had a little chat with you? There's nothing worse than seeing this, you know. Was, you ever, was there any fear and trepidation when that happened? Well, sometimes there was, but because you got your, you got your old seat got heated up a little bit for some of you. Time out. I've spent probably 45,000 hours in time out, but it didn't do me any good. But here's my picture of God in this instance. Let's say I've messed up. Holy Spirit convicts me, and I'm really bummed out. I don't even know if anybody uses that term, but I'm an old hippie. I can use it, I guess. But. And you come to God, and man, okay, you've heard me say this many times, but I picture this in my mind that he's doing this. You know, with little kids when they're learning to walk, you kind of do this. It's always my dream that when I get home every night, Diana's sitting on the couch going like that. <laughs> but anyhow... God does this, and we come up, and, and he doesn't smack us. He doesn't turn us over his knee. He's got his woodshed, but he does it a little different. But, man, he, he gets, me up, gets me up on his lap and kisses me on the head, and I cry, and I say I'm sorry, and he whispers down and tells me how much he loves me and to try to do better. Let me help you in this, God says. Next time that temptation comes up, just say, help me, Jesus, and listen to the Holy Spirit. And that's my concept of, of Jesus as my high priest in that sense and, and God the Father. But a lot of times we want assurance, don't we? In our marriage, we want assurance that that spouse loves us. 
Who doesn't like to hear the words, I love you? I like to hear them over and over and over again. Our friend Ellen has a parrot. I think you should teach your parrot to say, I love you, and then you'd always hear it every day. But anyhow, I, I like hearing that. I, I think that's assurance. And, and people say, oh, you don't need to hear that. You just know it. Well, I don't know about that. But, but how's that work when we, when we come to Christ? A poet has written this that I find is an interesting line. The desire to feel loved is the last, il- last illusion. The desi- desire to feel loved is the last illusion. Let it go and you will be free. Just as we have given up our own lives and a sunset came on being lost and a new dawn came in being a follower of Christ, we had to let go of something, and that's when that trust should start. But a lot of people want God to continue to, to prove that he loves them. All you have to do is see Jesus on the cross or read about his great sacrifice in the Scripture. That's the proof that he loves us. But some people want signs and wonders. Man, I like signs and wonders. I love miracles. It's not an everyday occurrence in my life. I wished it was. It's like I've told you a thousand times, I wished I had the gift of healing the disciples had, but I don't. I don't have to see people healed or these other signs and wonders to believe that God loves me. That is the point. But some people do. And if that be the case, if we can't trust him enough to know that he loves us right now, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make us, in the end, we'll, that trust dies and, and, and frustration takes in. And we don't want to follow him anymore because, man, Lord, you're not showing me the goods. You're not showing me this. I want to see it. I see it in you. When you hug, when we hug each other, I see it. I sense it. It's the love of God. That's the church. That's Jesus loving each, us to each other. What the disciples that thinks this has not learned is that tangible reassurances, however valuable they may be, cannot create trust, sustain it, or guarantee it. When our craving for God to prove that he loves us stops, that's when real trust comes in and takes over. The mystery of Jesus' ascension into heaven contains an important lesson. He said to his disciples, I am telling you the truth. It's for your own good that I'm going. That was in John 16, 7. The danger with Jesus staying there was with his disciples, was with him, can you imagine what they saw? That's, that's the thing that blows my mind is what they experienced. The Bible says that there's so much that Jesus did that the books couldn't contain it. So he was doing this every day. And they were with him, raising people from the dead, causing blind people to see, crippled people to run and jump. And leprosy, that dreaded disease that the skin just starts falling off and you have no feeling and people cut their fingers off and bleed to death because they have no feeling. Jesus touching them and making them like baby skin. They saw that. Why would they want him to leave? Man, we want to hang with Jesus the rest of our lives. But the problem in that, when they were in a crowd, people bringing demon-possessed people and whatever, whoa, let's put Jesus, let Jesus do it. Let Jesus do it. You see, that's translated into our day, let the staff do it. Let the pastors do it. That's not my, well, I beg to differ. It is your responsibility. 
because we can only touch so many people. But look at the vast amount of people that you guys come in contact with every day. You're Jesus in that situation. I'm not going to be there. It's the same thing with Revive Indiana. You might, you might be on a team with a pastor. You might not. Regardless, you're out there as a team, and you're out there in the trenches, so to speak, and you're doing it. That's why Jesus left, John 20, 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What calls us back? Oh, Leah gave a testimony about that. Sometimes we are, it is a little fearful. I tell you, Satan has a, a repertoire. He has an arsenal and on your page, you got a page. Satan has a page on every one of you. And on that page, there's a list of things that he can use against you to keep you flat on the ground with his nasty foot on your neck, putting pressure on you. That's what he does. And one of those huge ones that he uses is guilt and shame. Man, do you remember the time? People have been married 60, 70 years. One of them gets mad, the conversation comes up. Do you remember that time 59 years ago when you did that? <laughs> you don't think they remember? You remember. We all remember. We all got our own arsenal. We need to leave that alone, actually. But when we wallow in guilt, remorse, and shame over real or imagined sins of the past, we are disdaining God's gift of grace, saying, Lord, that grace is worthless. It has no bearing on me because that grace is the one that should cover that. No, preoccupation with self, it's like I said before, it is a huge problem. When we are preoccupied with self, it, it, it's always a major component of unhealthy guilt and recrimination. It stirs our emotion, churning in self-destruction, leads to depression and despair, preempts the presence of a compassionate God. The language of unhealthy guilt is harsh. It's demanding. It's abusing. It's criticizing. It's rejecting. It's accusing. It's blaming. It's condemning. It's reproaching and scolding. It is one of impatience and chastisement. Christians are shocked and horrified because they have failed. And unhealthy guilt becomes bigger than life. The image of the childhood story of Chicken Little comes to mind. Guilt becomes the experience in which people feel that the sky is calling, falling, and it makes them lose focus. Events in life that happen to us that are tragedies and calamities cause us to lose focus. It's like this clip from the Patriot when his son was killed. He was off course. Let's watch. Alexandria's with child. My first. I fight for that child. Benjamin, nothing will replace your sons. But if you come with us, you can justify their sacrifice. Why? 
Why do men feel they can justify death? Is it arrogance? I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. Benjamin, we have a chance. Green and Dan Morgan are down from Virginia. If we win this next battle, victory in the war is within our grasp. Go then. Seek your victory. I'm small issue to it. Uh... You're wrong, Benjamin. You matter to your men and to others as well. Your victories and and your losses are shared by more than you know. Stay with us. Stay the course. times have you wanted to give up on God? He didn't do what you wanted. The pain was too much. <laughs> people's counting on you. Look around you. All these people that you call brothers and sisters, they're counting on you. To do what? Stay the course. John Claypool writes, in learning to forgive ourselves, which is tough. And I quote, we all have shadows and skeletons in our background. But listen, there's something bigger in this world than we are, and that something bigger is full of grace and mercy and patience and ingenuity. The moment the focus of your life shifts from your badness to his goodness, and the question becomes not, what have I done, but what can he do? Release from remorse can happen. Miracle of miracles, you can forgive yourself because you are forgiven, accept yourself because you are accepted, and begin to trust building up the very places you once tore down. There is grace to help in every time of trouble. The grace is the secret to be able to forgive ourselves. You need to trust it, end of quote. Christianity happens in our lives when we accept with unwavering trust that our sins has not only been forgiven, but they have been forgotten. The blood of Christ has erased them off planet Earth. They're gone. Joe Rios said, a sad Christian is a phony Christian, and a Christ guilty Christian is no Christian at all. The cross is a confrontation with the overwhelming goodness of God revealed in the broken blood body of his only begotten Son, More than 300 years ago, Claude de la Colombe-Bert commented on the dinner Jesus attended in the home of Simon, the Pharisee, and he wrote, It is certain that of all those present, the one who most honors the Lord is Magdalene, who is persuaded of the infinite mercy of God that all her sins appears to her but as an atom in the presence of this mercy. Romans 8, 32, Since he did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for the sake of us all, then can we not expect that with him he will freely give us all his gifts? And the things that happen to us that cannot be explained. And when we ask the immortal question that we ask over and over and over and over again, why? We ask with Job in Job 2.10, if we take happiness from God's hand, must we not take sorrow too? Can we get to that point where we thank God for the headache, for the backache, and those things that happen to us because we see his big picture? And the thing about trusting God, it comes out in our life and it helps us trust others and something that it builds in our life that needs built in many ways today in many of our lives is integrity. Let's watch this clip from Courageous. It pretty much explains it better than I can. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I would be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Well done, Javier. After six times, I was getting discouraged. When we trust Christ, and he is alive and well in our lives. People trust us. A Bahamian priest relates a story that captures the essence of biblical trust. A two-story house had caught on fire, and the family, father, mother, and several children were on their way out when the smallest boy became terrified, tore away from his mother, ran back upstairs. Suddenly he appeared at the smoke-filled window crying like crazy. His father outside shouted, Jump, son, I'll catch you. And the boy cried, but daddy, I can't see you. 
I know his father called. I know, but I can see you. God can't see us. In my early years of faith, I could have won an Academy Award for fooling people. I've shared that before. I would come to church and smile and shake hands and say, man, that Eddie's a great guy, isn't he? Well, he didn't realize. They didn't realize how I was living the week before that. But God knew. But the thing is, what's always been crazy to me is to try to hide things, but you can't hide that from God. Right now, where you sit in your seat, he knows everything about you. He, he can open your heart up. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the sins that you committed, and he knows the sins you're going to commit this next week. He knows that. We can't fool him, but yet we, we try to hide. You go to hell, you can't hide from him there, and you surely can't hide from him in heaven. And you surely can't hide from me on the face of this earth. So as he looks at all of our hearts, they're all exposed this morning. What does he see? Does he see a dark heart that's dormant, that's black as this music stand? Because without Jesus in our hearts, they are coal black. They are black as a mine with no lights on at it. You can't see your hand right here. They're that dark. I've known people that went to church for years and their heart stayed this black till one day the Holy Spirit almost was pounding it down and they finally accepted Christ into their life. Or maybe he sees a carnal heart. That's a weird word, carnal. It's fleshy. Paul explained it in 1 Corinthians that tons of people want to go to heaven. Who in the right mind would say, I want to go to hell. I want to burn forever and ever. I want to be in agony forever and ever. No, I want to be in the glories of paradise. That's what I choose. Well, when we choose that, there's other things that come with that. Like, us finding our gifts and us getting involved and us doing things within the concept of the body and, and giving up some of the things in life that aren't good for us, that hurt us, hurt our families. A lot of people don't want to do that. They want one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You can't live like that. You're miserable. I'll guarantee you, because I lived that way before, the most miserable people in the world are this group that Paul mentions at Carnal, this playing, trying to play both sides of the fence. They've given their heart to Christ, but they're not listening to him taking them on, on, to, on into a, a fellowship with him. So there's hearts that don't know him. There are hearts that know him partially to agree. They've accepted the great gift of salvation, but they don't want anything else to do with that, which is a miserable place to be. And in praise God, there's the hearts that are right with God, and there's many of them in here. I praise God for you. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're being obedient. But at the end of the message, as we get finished and as the band comes, it's a day, it's a time of reckoning for you. I don't know what the Holy Spirit has said to you, 
But if you're listening, he said something. And it's always my prayer for you because I love you that you're just obedient. You can come up here and find grace and mercy. People will love you and pray for you, show you how to become a Christian. You can do it right where you sat. But for heaven's sake and for your sakes, people that I love, do it. <laughs> That's the point. Be obedient. Lord, this is tough business sometimes. It, it's, it's, it's difficult for us to face ourselves. And it's even more difficult, Holy Spirit, when you grab a hold of us and you show us what we need to do and sometimes we don't want to do it. My prayer right now, Lord, as we deal with you in our own hearts, that we might just be obedient. Whatever you've asked us to do, to come to you is salvation, to get in the boat with you, to change our way of life, or just a word of praise. But may we all communicate with you in this moment, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.